0: Hello and welcome to the Crypto Cafe. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, here in this cafe. We embrace newcomers and experts alike to all things crypto, NFTs, metaverse, and Web3. The theme of today's show, we are talking about how to get... Millions and millions of people in Web 2 into Web 3 using the power of brands and brand partnerships. And uh, there is no one else to talk to about this than the king of big brand partnerships himself. Ryan Wyatt, who's the president of Polygon Labs and is leading the charge with so many incredible brands, initiatives uh, in order to get millions and millions of people on board and into Web3. So Ryan, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is high praise, though. It's very high praise. I hope I can live (laughs) up to it uh, over the next twenty minutes or so.
0: I love it. Okay, well, first of all, what are you drinking in the crypto cafe? If we were together in person, like what what would we be enjoying?
1: (laughs) I have uh, an iced coffee in hand right now in both the physical and metaverse would be my drink of choice.
0: You know what? I sort of do, too. It it, it was actually a hot coffee about an hour ago, but I didn't quite get to it. And so now I feel like I'm enjoying an iced coffee along with you. So
1: no, I love that. When that happens, (laughs) just throw some ice cubes in it and keep moving forward. So goes life. Right. Exactly
0: pivot like in business Um, I love that so what what led you to Polygon Labs like where where was that aha moment for you in your career that got you into web3 and led you to where you are today
1: yeah, I love it. So basically, I feel like I'm a little bit of a different person that works in crypto and Web3 or maybe like a new breed. I actually was never really into crypto. You know, my friends were obviously being in tech, you know, people would talk about it on the fringe, but, you know, I don't have this story about reading like the Bitcoin white paper and it changing my life or any of that. In fact, I was, uh, I started in and ran the gaming vertical at YouTube and weirdly where I started getting it, I'm a diehard gamer as well. Mm. And one of the conversations we were having at YouTube, this is 2021, was just like, Observing how much people are spending on digital goods. Not, not on YouTube, just in the space at large and in games industry and so forth. And I, I and as a gamer, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, <clears throat> you know, at some point we're gonna hit an inflection point with how much people are spending where they're gonna want a lot more rights of ownership, right? Like almost starting to make sure that they have comparable rights of their digital asset purchases as they do their physical. And so what I what ended up happening is I just started spending time on that. And that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of like you know, NFTs, you know, blockchain, these items being on some distributed ledger, what does that all mean? Yada, yada, right? And ultimately, you know, spoke with some some friends who uh, make games who I really, you know, I, I was both investing in and just like really trusted, started to just paint this picture of, hey, you know, if you actually have these like digital items on chain and you can, you know, verify it, people understand the scarcity of it, it gives them the autonomy to kind of like trade or lend them or sell them, whatever they wanna do. And for me, that was my aha moment. I'm like, oh, no, this is it, right? And and people spending money on digital goods spans far beyond just gaming, right? And I think it's going to continue to move in that direction. So that's where things started to click. Then I looked at, at where you go, right? You have these different solutions. And I really liked Polygon because it effectively was empowering people to scale and build on Ethereum, which was already this big protocol with a bunch of users, with a bunch of developers, very vibrant. And so that led me to Polygon where I'm like okay this I'm in a good position where I can lead this business team across not just gaming but a variety of verticals and I think a lot of these verticals are going to imitate things that were happening in the gaming industry and, and expand upon them and so long-winded that's kind of how I made my voyage into you know web3 and crypto and and polygon
0: I love it. Okay. So obviously I want to spend time talking about where we're going in the future, but let's, I want to double click on your past a little bit. So talk to me about your gaming past. You mentioned you're a diehard gamer. Like what were your games? How did you get into it?
1: So I got in very young, like when I was three, because my older brother had a Nintendo and started playing Mario. Then I got into Counter Strike competitively when I was 14, 15 years old, then Call of Duty competitively when I was in college. Basically, my ticking time, the com- competitive was like esports tournaments were in small hotel ballrooms. Yeah, rooms. like what idea yeah, like, like
0: what is what do you mean by competitive?
1: So there's like tournaments, right? Tournaments with prize purses, and you would play against each other, like teams would formally play against each other, and you would you would play for a prize purse in tournaments. Now They were were like small, it was like beer money in college, right? It was like, you know, 500 bucks or whatever, right? It was very small. Um, And this is early days. You know, this is, you're thinking like 2007, 2008. Esports was, you know, people were talking about it. You saw some of the things happening in PC, but it was like this thing that nobody was watching and it was, again, in hotel ballrooms. And so um, that's where I started kind of my gaming journey. And then I I was like, I got to get an actual job. Like, I can't do this out of college. (laughs) So I ended up working for Major League Gaming, which was the company, the startup that was kind of putting these tournaments on. And, you know, they were selling sponsorships to try to make the cost. And then they were starting to distribute it and broadcast it. They did a television deal, then obviously leaned into live streaming later yada, yada. And so I immediately got into this path very early on of like, hey, I think people want to watch people play video games, which was a crazy thought. Everyone was like, nobody wants to watch people play video games. People want to play video games, right? Like, what are you talking about? And even I, in self-reflection, was like, damn, yeah, I never enjoyed watching my brother play. Like, I always wanted the controller, wanted him to, like, die, so I would be my turn, you know? <laughs> so I did doubt myself at times, but, you know, long story short, it did work out, right? You know, it, people watch people play video games. Anyway, I got recruited at YouTube by Susan, who's the CEO of YouTube, because she came in, right? She had she, Google started in her garage, but then she had taken over YouTube. They didn't get the Twitch acquisition that went to Amazon. And she's like, yo, who here knows about gaming? It's like a big deal. And nobody at YouTube knew anything about gaming, right? So then she said, go, you know, go get somebody in gaming. So Robert Kinsel, the chief business officer, was like, who is this dude at Machinima, which is where I was working, that always emails about all the things we should be doing in gaming that we never do. I want to have lunch with them. 17 interviews later, I become the head of gaming at YouTube. That was like the first head of gaming at YouTube. Um, and I was 27 and it was awesome, right? I, it was a great experience for me. I had a little bit of imposter syndrome, but it was fun to like learn from these, you know, tech giants and so forth. There was a lot. And, and for me, I also was able to have comfort because I knew none of them knew gaming at all. Like, they barely even knew the creator ecosystem as well as I did. So I was able to be, like, confident about what I knew, but also, like, humble that I'm like, I I need to figure out how I'm, like, a polished leader and better manager and better executive. And this this group has a wealth of information that I can learn from. And so that's, that's kind of what led me through my, like, gaming career and then, like, working in the creator economy and gaming at the same time.
0: Um. It's a, it's a great story. And it's also, I mean, uh, a real testament to like how you were proactively reaching out to them with all of these ideas and, and kind of being on their mind, which is also such an important lesson in, in business too that that a lot of people don't do. Uh, I'm also curious, so once you were at YouTube, like, do you remember some of the weirdest digital assets people were buying or things that stuck with you or things that you were like, like, really? Like people are actually buying that?
1: You know, um, it it started with just like, what we had called like super chat where people were paying money just to like do a shout out, you know, like an emote or like a, a, a shout out inside of the chat. And that was like, okay, that's interesting because like a membership you get, right. You know, I buy X thing and there's these things that I'm getting. And so that really wasn't digital, but where we started to see, okay, like this idea of doing a paid shout out so that they get some real estate there, like this started to, that started to kick in. And as a gamer, we had already been doing it forever. Like The realization too, I go back to is I was playing World of Warcraft when I was much younger, a teenager, and I would buy gold online, which was totally circumventing like the end user license agreement was absolutely not allowed, but people would sell their gold in basically these markets. And so it helped you buy the gold, it helps you accelerate things you want, right? And so all of a sudden you start to realize like, this has actually been happening forever. Diablo with the auction house, people with Counter-Strike today, like you have these really rare you know, knives that you can get like a, it's called like a bayonet fade knife and you get it by rolling these different boxes. And they're really, you know, you don't know how many of them are, but you know, there is like implied scarcity there and you can sell them to each other inside, but the money stays inside of Steam, like a walled garden. And so what people were doing is they would basically go to third-party websites that would hold the knife in escrow effectively. And so they got like the payment and then this third party would take a fee up the top and make the swap, right? And so it was so you could have a trusted person. So I'm like, look at it. there's already appetite here of people spending money on digital goods, trying to have more autonomy and ownership over them. And that's where it kind of clicked. It was it was a little bit of what we were seeing at YouTube on kind of the digital goods front and then more on the, the gaming side.
0: Mm, it's really interesting. The thing about shout outs, uh, that's not a, even a use case that I would have expected either. Um, so now take us into today with Polygon. Uh, for anyone who's who's not familiar, maybe you can de- uh, describe what Polygon Labs is and, and what you're focused on.
1: Yeah. So Polygon is a, a decentralized protocol. And the way that I think of kind of blockchain is that it is like a product feature of the internet, right? And this is a product feature that unlocks you know, all of these things around ownership and kind of like free flowing of digital goods and the economies that kind of come with it. And there's a financial component, but if I had to really simplify it, Basically, building on blockchain is a is a is is having a product feature of the internet. And so what Polygon is, is one of many different protocols that you can choose from. Just like if you want to put your business on and cloud infrastructure, you're looking at Google Cloud and you're looking at AWS and so forth. That's kind of what Polygon does for blockchain. So you look at, and then what Polygon Labs is because these protocols are decentralized, we're a core contributor group to make sure that Polygon as a decentralized protocol stands up on its own feet and can operate you know, perpetually on its own independently and autonomously. And so our time at Polygon Labs is finite because we are tasked with getting this thing up and running. And then once it's up and running, letting it run by itself. Um, And so maybe that's a little bit even a discussion for another day. And, but it is important because we're kind of like a, this core contributor group. And so we do these partnerships to, to showcase what can be done. And so Starbucks is a great example. We partnered with Starbucks and think of that as kind of a using it as part of a feature. So if you look at Starbucks Odyssey, it's they're basically expansion of their rewards program. And what Starbucks Odyssey is, it's all built on Polygon, is effectively this really cool way, you, you know, Starbucks tasks you with doing different things, you know, buy a bag of coffee from our store, you know, order a latte two weeks in a row, whatever the case may be, and we'll give you a stamp that stamp is effectively an nft it can do all kinds of things it could get you another almond latte for free it could get you into a physical experience it could maybe do something crazy like get you know send you out to a trip for starbucks reserve there's a million things that they can do to like add value to that stamp and the way that you get it is you're going kind to of go on a quest of doing different things uh, uh, uh you know at starbucks and so the nft part is like the actual web three component, and that sits on top of polygon but you know it's just really For all intents and purposes, just another experience that you don't really need to think about the Polygon part. Just like if you were going and playing Call of Duty, you're not worried if AWS or Google Cloud is powering the multiplayer experience. You're there to play Call of Duty, right? I kind of think of this as the same as, yes, Polygon, we're in the limelight because people are seeing how this stuff is being utilized. But the star of the show is very much Starbucks, who really had the most innovative rewards program ever when they launched Starbucks Rewards. This is now like, what is the future version of that look like? And so some people would argue it's Web 2.5. I wouldn't disagree with them. But this is like a really important part of how we get mainstream adoption, where you abstract away a lot of this like crypto blockchain tech jargon. And at the end of the day, you're just a user that's coming into a Starbucks reward program. And now you got this stamp, the stamp you can sell. There's value in the stamp. You can collect more stamps for it to equal something out. Like there's all kind of utility to that stamp and you don't need to worry about you know, ledgers and seed phrases and all this, they've really done a great job of kind of abstracting away the crypto stuff. And so that's just a great example of, you know, what I'm excited about and what I'm looking for as the space grows and matures and gets mass adoption.
0: Amazing. I'm here in the Crypto Cafe with Ryan Wyatt, who's the president of Polygon Labs. I'm Randy Zuckerberg, your host. And here in the Crypto Cafe today, we're talking all about big brand partnerships, gaming, and a lot of the lay of the land of what's going on in Web3 today. So, Ryan, I'd love your thoughts on what is the lay of the land with partnerships, with big brands? Um, Are are big brands still entering Web3 with gusto, or are they scared off by the bear market? And how, how have your conversations with brands like Starbucks uh, changed over the past few months.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So Starbucks is a little bit of outlier. They have such like firm conviction in what the future looks like there. So I don't think anything can really, um, you know, uh, knock them out of that orbit. Um, You know, we just announced MasterCard who uh, at CES with uh, them on stage where they're leaning into artists and how artists start to think about their creator strategies with Web3 and thinking about NFTs and what it means for them. So I still think there's like a a pretty good appetite. I do think the macro has tempered R&D in which Web3 kind of sits under for a lot of these big companies. Um, But I would say that, you know, we still have a lot of excitement on the horizon and things coming. So um, I I think it's slowed down, no doubt. And that's in line with a lot of things in the market, but definitely not stopped. And you're still going to see a lot out of Polygon.
0: Love it. Do you think that all brands should have a Web3 presence at this point? Or do you think we're still, you know, too early days that it's not for everyone?
1: Oh, no, definitely not. I think if you're, you know, a lot of folks just should be thinking about it. Like you don't want to be you want to be informed. And so right now is a really good period to have a, a very like reasonable, balanced, measured take of the space. And I think, you know, a lot of folks that's valuable. Um there are others that you can also start to just dip your toe in and do stuff fun. You know, you're you you know, you're seeing some of that happen where it's not a huge lift to get in the space and you learn and you adapt as you get in. It doesn't have to be as big as Starbucks. There's things where you can just start to explore. You know, we saw Porsche do something. This is not even on Polygon, on ETH, Mainnet and so forth. It's like they got a little bit of backlash. That's a great learning experience, right? So I, I think starting to get your feet wet and understand, this going back to that core part of it, it's a product feature of the internet and how that can actually change your business long-term. You should have an opinion on that, which then starts to kick off conversations, but I don't think everybody needs to be in it or rush into it right now today, but you should you should be informed for sure.
0: For sure. And what are you personally excited about in the space? I know for me, one of the things I love about being in the Web3 space is that I feel like every day I'm a beginner and every single day I'm just like learning and, and seeing a ton of things. So what's what's interesting and exciting to you these days?
1: Loyalty and rewards could be and that's why hence the Starbucks and games. Like I really just think gaming is going to be huge. Like we also, you know, there, there's a bunch of stuff that we're doing across the board, but I just I feel there's so much money spent in digital goods and gaming, and they they have the most users, gamers, have the most to benefit from games being on chain, as far as that autonomy and ownership over that of that money that they're spending. And so, like immediately today, there's product market fit that gives them more uh, like equitable access and ownership over these digital goods. So like immediately we've gotta like tap into that market. Now the games take a while to develop. So games that you see right now are rudimentary and they're not gonna be like mass adopted games, but you're over time that's gonna change. And so I'm most, I'm, and obviously I'm that's like selfish cause my background's in gaming, but I just see it as such an outside of the clear and already established, you know, uh, financial use case gaming is like a very obvious one to me. Um, and so for me, it's a matter of time and that is a, a massive industry to tap into, right? It's the uh, highest grossing in entertainment more than music and film. And so, uh, there's, it's a big business we had and it's, it's ripe for disruption because if you think of the free to play model is largely driven by people with money and people with time for free to play to work. And so there's like economic value. And even people thinking about how web three use cases work for, for games. So, I, that's what I'm excited for,
0: yeah. I mean, you've really gotten my wheels spinning a lot. Um what I mean, what do you think are some of the things that Web three allows for games or for the actual gamers themselves that um that were kind of pain points with Web two or pain points uh, previously?
1: You know, I don't even know if it's solving necessarily a pain point as much as it's giving more value to the user. And like, that's not necessarily a pain point as much as it is like a an, a feature expansion, of, if you will, for a user. And so gamers love going into a game that's free and then spending a lot of money if they like it. You know, and the cosmetic items, whatever it may be inside of it, you know, the membership pass. Now, all of that stuff really, all I think, even in the most simplistic form, there's a lot of different things that we're seeing in Web3 games from every action that's taken is on chain to like just the membership part is on chain. But this idea that you can come into a game, you can invest your money on any of the like cosmetic skins and so forth. And that you can sell them trade them lend them is very powerful and like blockchain enables that day one i also think the cool thing about it is for example i played this game valorant very early and in season one i played and bought these skins that were only available in season one I should, I should be able to sell those now later as like somebody that was really early and in, early investor. in the fact that I played this game before mo- many people did, and I spent money on this game before many people did. And now I have items that as the game has gotten bigger, people want and they can't get, but they want them. Right. And so I I could technically sell those items, you know, at 10, 20 X of what I bought them for because of the demand and because I was early mover in the game and there's value there. And right now user can't buy those, right. Unless they make them uh, up again on the marketplace, which would, to be the purpose of windowing them in season one for early adopters. And so that's just like a a weird conundrum that nobody wins on. If I could sell it, I could make money off of it. Uh, The resale value like there's a percent take that the game could also take, right? So it's good for them because they're promoting the sales of these items. So they make money off of it. And the user on the other side could get the skin that they wanted and they were willing to pay for. So now all of a sudden you've just enabled a bunch of like real ownership of what actual real world is like. You know, like I have something you want, you want to buy it from me, I can sell it to you. And so it enables a lot of these streams to easily flow. Um, And so I just think of something as simple as that would go a long way and that people will come to the realization of that. It turns the model the the revenue generating models upside down for game developers that work really well for them today. So they're timid to just jump into this with two feet because the power is going to a user. Now they can benefit to it, but it's like, they're not, if things are working for them, they're not necessarily inclined to just jump in and start advocating for more ownership and autonomy for a user. So this is going to have to be a bottoms up approach of people pushing from you know the top to say like, we're spending money here. We deserve to have more rights over this stuff. Because right now, if I buy a, a, a cosmetic skin in a game, it's $10 out, zero. I, I'll never be able to do anything. It just like yep. immediately goes to zero and I own the skin and that's it. And you really own a license to so it. You don't even actually own the item. So this is the problem. It's
0: it's fascinating. And I I watch my own two sons and how they engage with gaming and buying digital assets. And it's just it's really fascinating, the world that they're going to live in and that that we're all in. It's almost like um like. Uh, you know, when I hear you talk, I'm like, oh, you, you speak gaming as a first language. And I think there's a lot of decision makers, unfortunately, who speak gaming as a second language and who Correct. are like, can't, you know, are struggling to really understand uh, what's going on. But all I need to do is like, look at my two almost teenage sons. And it's very obvious. I was going to um,
1: say, moms that have bought Robux uh, yep. or anything like that, like <laughs> totally are like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. We <laughs> <You> spent <laughs> totally. a ton of money on these things, of course. Right. Yeah, No, like
0: my. Yeah. My kids, like if if I ever give them an allowance or money for the holidays, they're like, oh, can you just like put it either right into like the Nintendo e-store or Roblox or Pokemon? Like just put it right in there because like that's better for me than to have it as cash. And I'm like, wow, this is this is a totally different world. Um, So, Ryan, we're in our final moments together. Um, What are you excited about for Polygon Labs and, and what should we be looking forward to this year?
1: Yeah, this year it's like kind of all about tech. I'll spare you like too much technical jargon, but basically what we're rolling out is infrastructure, which is called our zero knowledge infrastructure, um, which is allow- which will allow us to scale. So right now we have some limitations in our infrastructure on how many transactions per second we can do without the cost of those transactions per second getting really high, which then defeats the purpose of building on Polygon because the beauty of it is you can do all of this stuff at very low transacting costs. So when we roll out our next like state of infrastructure, which is our ZKEVM is what we're calling it. Um, this will allow for all of the growth, the mass Web3 adoption, the scaling that, you know, we we believe Polygon can kind of bring to the space. And so we actually can back kind of the tech with the partnerships that we're doing and building upon. So it's huge, huge. And, and we spent a billion dollars in 2021 acquiring three in total, acquiring three different ZK companies to actually like bring this engineering core talent group together, um, which is like a phenomenal group of talent who have been working together. And now this is kind of the, this is the, this is all their work coming to this like moment. And uh um, we're really excited for it. And we're we're launching this spring. So now we know we can scale, right? And so that takes a big kind of like technical concern off of our back, which we've obviously been operating with as we grow.
0: Amazing. Well, congrats on all your success, and uh, it's it's really exciting. And thanks for the master class, also in in gaming, Web two to Web three. I'm I'm really excited about what's on the horizon. Ryan, where can people go to connect with you and to keep up with everything you're doing?
1: Twitter.com/slash/fwiz. F W I Z. That's my gamer tag. I stay true to my roots, <laughs> and so all things Polygon are there.
0: Love it. And I really hope our paths cross in person so we can enjoy an iced coffee or a hot coffee turned iced uh, together in real life. Thank you so much for coming on Crypto Cafe today.
1: Looking forward to that. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. That was Ryan Wyatt, president of Polygon Labs. And, uh, you know, wow, you can hear the enthusiasm radiating off of his voice of what the future looks like for gaming and Web3 and uh, how just explosive this is going to be as an entire industry and also just the promise for brands to connect with consumers around loyalty and rewards in new and fascinating ways. So if anyone's going to lead the charge there, it's Brian and his team. Stay closely focused on what they're doing. Thanks for joining me in the Crypto Cafe. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, and stay tuned for a new episode next week.